Welcome to Sex Chat for Christian Wives, where four marriage and sex bloggers discuss the naked truth. What does God really want for the sexual intimacy in our marriage? I'm Jay Parker of Hot, Holy, and Humorous. I'm Chris Taylor from The Forgiven Wife. I'm Gay Christmas of Calm, Healthy, Sexy. I'm Bonnie Burns of Oyster Bed 7. Welcome to Sex Chat for Christian Wives. For many Christian wives, one of the biggest battles they face is with their own past. What we've learned, experienced, and done can affect the marriage bed for years. And in this episode, we're going to talk about dealing with our sexual baggage. Gay and Bonnie aren't able to join us for this episode, but we are thrilled to have a guest with us. We're joined by Shannon Etheridge, best-selling author, speaker, and life coach. She has helped so many women overcome their own sexual and emotional baggage, and we will include her website link on our show notes for you. And in this episode, Shannon will join us to talk about dealing with our baggage. Shannon, thank you for joining us. You bet, Chris and Jay. Thank you so much for having me. We're thrilled to have you here. Thanks. We are. Yeah, our reputations all precede us. I think we've known of each other for years. It's great to finally just connect voice to voice. And see faces, yes. It's always good to see somebody else who's like, okay, sure, I'll talk about sex. (laughs) From a Christian perspective, great, join the club. All three of us have written or spoken about dealing with our sexual baggage. Shannon, I know you've written about it in your books. I've heard it when you were um, on Sexy Marriage Radio. Jay, you've written about it. I've written about it. We're going to include links to all of this on our in our notes. But when we say we're dealing with sexual baggage, what exactly do we mean? What is sexual baggage? What are the kinds of things we're talking about? Yeah, well, the kinds of things that we're talking about, if we were to make a list, it would be you know quite lengthy. Uh, how I describe it is that any hurdle that holds you back in the bedroom is considered sexual baggage. It doesn't always have to do with something that we've done. Sometimes it's something that someone else has done to us. Sometimes it's just a thought or a paradigm or a lens that we view through. Sometimes it's how we feel about our husbands or about the relationship. Sometimes it's how we feel about ourselves. Uh, Body image issues can be one of the biggest uh, issues that really hold women back in the bedroom. So it's really anything, just in looking at the word baggage, it's anything that you're carrying that you don't have to carry, that you can let that go and put it down and travel much more lightly. Um, And I think that there comes a time in every woman's life when she really needs to press the pause button and examine both her sexual history and how she's feeling about sexuality in the current era and her vision for marriage long-term and to recognize, is there any proverbial bubble gum that needs to be scraped off of my shoe? Is there anything that I really need to let go of so I can move on and be the sexually confident wife that I deserve to be and that we can be the sexually confident couple that we both desire to be. I love that explanation. I've always thought of it as something that kind of that you bring into the marriage that skews your, your perception of what sex should be the way God intended sex to be in your marriage. Yeah. I I would totally agree with that description, except I have realized in the past 25 years of doing this ministry that sometimes the baggage is created within the marriage, that it didn't necessarily happen before the marriage, that how a husband makes her feel about herself, about her sexuality, about her performance, about her emotional availability, um, all of those things can create sexual baggage as well. For me, thinking about baggage is literally like 
let's put a suitcase on the bed and think of all the things that are inside of it that is taking up space where my where I should be and all that stuff's on the bed instead. But I brought in a lot of baggage. I had my own, you know, premarital history. I had lots of self-esteem and body image issues. So that baggage affected the marriage bed. But then as I was struggling with sex, my husband's way of responding to my struggles created more hurdles and piled other stuff into that luggage that was on my bed. So I think you're absolutely right that there's, you know, we think about sexual baggage as what we bring to the marriage, but there's often a lot of stuff that happens, you know, we add to that suitcase when we deal with our husbands. Absolutely. And sometimes when we get married at 23, 25, 27, we don't have body image issues yet, or, or we th- we think we do, but we have no idea that, that one of these yeah. days we're going to long for the body that we had <laughs> when we were 25 or 27. So I do think that, um, especially when it comes to, to just insecurities about our physical appearance, um, our size, our shape, all that kind of stuff, that that baggage, that kind of baggage can increase as the years go on. And, and again, that's why I think that it's so important to have a vision of what you want your sex life to be like in decades ahead. One of the pictures that I carry on my cell phone, you know, a lot of people carry this avatar type picture of like the, the Nike woman of just do it, you know, or some sort of, you know, airbrushed supermodel or something like that's her goal. My avatar is a woman in her eighties in an embrace with her 80 something year old husband. And I mean, she has cellulite ripples, stretch marks, saggy boobs, pot belly, gray hair, wrinkles, the whole nine yards, but she looks so confident and so comfortable in her own skin, sharing her naked body with her husband. And it's just a beautiful picture to me because I'm much closer to that at 50 than I am to that, you know, 16 year old that's been airbrushed. And so I'm just really trying to tell myself that um, this is not just a picture that I carry on my phone. This is truly what I aspire to become because all of us, you, know, you can't stop the clock. You mean, we can do all the Botox and liposuction that we want, but we cannot stop the clock. And so just accepting the fact that sexuality is going to look different in every decade of our lives, and that's okay. It's not going to look the way that it did in our 20s or 30s, and we wouldn't want it to. It should be getting better and better as decades. Yeah. My husband and I joke about being the couple in the nursing home who makes all the attendants uncomfortable. This is going to sound so throw it in there, but I just got back from Las Vegas. <laughs> this is the reason why I was there, and it's not what people might think. I I promise I behaved completely. But you, you're walking around, and you see there was this, there were these uh, really you know nicely put together couples walking through this restaurant, and they're beautiful people, and they're holding hands and stuff. And and I turned to my friend and I said, well, they look great, but you know what impresses me? And I pointed to another couple that was this elderly couple. They were kind of, you know, they're older, everything, gravity had started happening. And when I see that couple, I said that, you know, when they're holding hands and they're looking at each other in the eyes, like you are so sexy to me. I'm like, that's impressive. That's what I aspire to. That's beautiful. And I neither won nor lost any money in Vegas. I just want to say that. <laughs> but you did see Donnie and Marie, right? I saw Donnie and Marie Osmond. It was a it was a dream come true because Don. Well, anyway, he was the first album I ever owned. Oh, <laughs> did he wear purple socks? He did not. But they sang Deep Purple. And, and did she sing Paper Roses? Oh my gosh, she did. And she, she sang some other stuff. An incredible, 
vocal talent. Just incredible. Back to sex. <laughs> so, you know, I would say most of us at some point have to deal with sexual baggage. Why is it so hard to deal with? Why why do we struggle with that? Yeah, so women so many women tell me I am so afraid to to look at um what's really inside. There have been women who have emailed me for years who've said, I've always wanted to come to one of your Women at the Well four-day intensive workshops, but I'm so afraid of looking inside myself. I'm afraid of what I'll find. And I tell them, you know what? I would be more afraid of not looking because it's kind of like an ostrich in the sand type of scenario. When you have your head in the sand, your ass is really vulnerable to attack. And <laughs> and I am always telling both husbands or both wives and husbands that don't ever assume that your spouse will not evolve in a direction that is more, you know, away from you than toward you. If you aren't willing to look at your issues, if you aren't willing to unpack your, especially your sexual baggage, don't ever assume that your spouse isn't capable of having an affair. Don't ever assume that your spouse will never leave, will never divorce you because sex is the number one issue that drives people to divorce court. And so if you even have a remote inkling that maybe you should look at some of your sexual and emotional baggage, I would just challenge you to say, why the heck not? Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you try to take your head out of the sand and look at, at maybe your blind spots and what you don't see about yourself, but maybe what your husband perceives about you? And um, yeah, when women leave that workshop, it is absolutely amazing how it looks as if they've truly had some sort of makeover. It looks as if uh, their posture is much straighter. They look 10 pounds lighter. They look 10 years younger. It's like they just shed so many layers during that four-day span of time. And I got a text message this morning. A lady said, my husband has a new nickname for you, the glorious goddess of yes. And I don't know if that's because she said yes or because he's saying yes. Yeah. yeah so every cool. now and then you get those those emails and, you know, they say, my husband wants to thank you. And, and I would say <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he should. No, <laughs> I get flowers and cards and candy from husbands all the time saying, I don't know what you did with the woman that I sent you, but I'm keeping the woman you sent back. <laughs> my dream lover. Yeah, you know, it's so funny that you say fear is the biggest issue because that was the big thing for me. And, you know, I, I sit there and I try to think, what, what was I so afraid of? Well, I was afraid of truly knowing myself. It wasn't even just... Would, what would my husband think? It was just being able to know who I was. And I was afraid that I would discover that I'd made the wrong decision in getting married. And then what would we do if I knew I wasn't supposed to be married? I preferred the unknown at the time. The, the ignorance I, is bliss. Yeah, but it wasn't. <laughs> and that was, you know, I told myself, well, ignorance is bliss. And then I thought, but I don't really feel very blissful right now. Mm -hmm. And that was part of what spurred me to finally start looking at some of that. I think we can have a difficult time. I have a somewhat different story in that I ruminated a lot about my baggage. I kept looking at it a lot, but I didn't really know what to do with it. It's kind of like there is this suitcase that's super full, and I know, you know, I open it and I look at it, and then I, you know, I dig through it, and then I just put it all back and zip it, you know, because mm -hmm. I didn't really know what, I didn't know how to take care of it. And that is exactly why I created these four-day workshops, because so many women would say, I know what my problems are. I just don't know how to process it and get closure and be able to move on and have healing. Like, they, they, they knew their scars. They could tell you their scars very graphically, 
but they just had no idea what to do with the pain and the residual effects of all of that. And so there, there is certainly a journey that you can embark upon where you unpack your fear, your anger, and your sadness. Those are the three primary negative emotions. And that when we allow ourselves to process those, when our soul feels as if, okay, we, we have processed those and we have closure, it's amazing how much space there it creates for joy, that the last day is gladness. So the first day is fear, the second day is anger, the third day is sadness, and the fourth day is gladness. And so um, the way that I explain it to women is I want you to assume that you picked up the newspaper this morning in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, or wherever, whatever city you're in. And that the headlines read that there was a guy found to have all these people bound and gagged in the basement of his home. So the police do some investigation to find out who are these people? What do they all have in common? And what they learn is that these were all his wisest teachers in life. Kindergarten, elementary school, junior high, high school, college. So, of course, you would scratch your head and go, why would he bind and gag all of his wisest teachers and stuff them in the basement? Why wouldn't he have them sitting in the living room, serving them tea and cookies and learning all he can from them? But isn't that what we're taught to do with our negative emotions? Growing up, we are told, you know, if, if we express fear, oh, stop being a scaredy cat, a fraidy baby or whatever. If we express anger, it's go to your room and, until you get a civil tongue in your head. If we cry tears... It's, you better shut up or I'm going to give you something to cry about. We are taught to repress our negative emotions. And it's those repressed negative emotions that drive our bus in one of two directions. It causes us to either act out sexually or emotionally, or it causes us to shut down sexually or emotionally. Or I call this the female sexuality pendulum swing. Sometimes you gravitate back and forth between acting out, shutting down, acting out, shutting yeah, down. Yeah, that's no fun. Yeah, and so the goal is to help women find a healthy middle ground where they're interested in motivated sex partners once again, but only with their husbands, not anyone else. So instead of swinging so far to the left that you're at 9 o'clock or so far to the right that you're at 3 o'clock, how about we find something between like 5.30 and 7, that, that, you're, that you're just a healthy partner and that, you, again, you're interested and motivated, but not with anybody else, with, with the man that you've committed your life to. You know, one of my other issues... I remember was I had identified so much of how I saw myself was as a victim. I mean, not a victim in a really bad way, but I just kind of had this victim mentality of, you know, my husband's done this and he's hurt me and -and so-and-so did this and that hurt me. And dealing with my baggage meant that I would lose that part of how I identified myself. And so there was a fear with that, but I, I was so afraid that if I deal with the baggage and become you know, does that mean I'm going to become somebody different? And as it turned out, I felt like I just became more of who I was all along once all that, you know, crap was unpacked and dealt with. But well, it drags you down. It it drags you down in a way that you do, I don't think you understand until you you know. It's kind of like if you're in a dark room for a long time, you don't really understand life this that you know when you finally get out and you see the light it hits you in a way that you go wow i didn't realize how dark it was exactly Um, you just you're just kind of swimming in this and you don't you don't see it so well it's just the reality you've been living in and you don't recognize that you could be more if you would peel all those layers off and the thing that i find so sad is the concept of being more Women don't necessarily feel as if they deserve to be more. They may feel pressure that I need to be more for my husband, 
And so therefore it's my marital duty, but they don't recognize that you can be more for you and find that joy and that confidence and that happiness uh, and peace and all that, that this is something that you do for you, that sexual confidence isn't just a gift that you're trying to cultivate so you can hand it to your husband. It's so that you can enjoy being the woman that God designed you to be. And so just shifting that mindset from this is my marital duty, sex is just something I do for him, I don't really get anything out of it, to this is my marital delight. God made the female body to enjoy sex so much more than the male body. And so many women are shocked to hear that. And they would argue and it's like, nope, I've got scientific evidence to back it up. The way that God designed our bodies, sex is intended to pleasure the female far more than the male. And so just looking at it as your marital delight instead of your marital duty. Jay once made a clitoris model out of Play-Doh and you... (laughs) I'm fun that way. <laughs> yes. Love Play-Doh. <laughs> I, ca- I tried to get one 3D printed and it never worked, so I just made my own. There you my go. Sculpture. But it, but it is amazing how much how much it is, like how, you know, we think about the, the, the tip of the clitoris, and it's really, there's so much more in there. And it's, it's the tip of the know, iceberg. There's, <laughs> there's these hidden things that go on, and when you start learning more and more about our bodies, it's pretty fascinating to recognize that our creator just puts so much into a woman and created us a sexual being. And I think what you're talking about, Shannon, is one of the the perceptions that we have that is baggage for a lot of women out there that they have, um, they've absorbed this message that sex is for him. And that's, that's in both Christian and secular circles that is pushed so often. And, And, you know, let go of that bag. That's just not true. Yeah. And the weird thing that I learned is that according to Jewish law, it's a woman's right to be sexually satisfied by her husband or else she can divorce. I'm not prescribing it. I'm only describing the reality that Christians have really moved away from that mentality of sex is for me. It's my right to be sexually satisfied. But yeah, a a man has 4,000 nerve endings in his penis. A woman has 8,000. So we have twice as many nerve endings. He only has one way to ejaculate. We have three different ways to orgasm through clitoral stimulation. G-spot stimulation or both at the same time for a blended orgasm. And then he has a refractory period. He has to wait in between ejaculations, whereas women don't have a refractory period. We can just have one after another after another until we're like, okay, enough. And so this whole thing that Sigmund Freud came up with of women just have penis envy. They just wish they had one of these. I don't want one. I I want one, but only one. And it's attached to somebody. Why would a woman want a shotgun when she already owns a (laughs) semi-automatic? I feel sorry for them that they don't have a vagina and a clitoris and a G-spot because they are missing out. You know, and I think that the beauty of all that, too, is that we are made in such a way that I hear from husbands so often that what one of the things that they they long to have, too, one of the the God has created this where it is a, a boost to the husband to have a sexually confident wife who is willing to embrace her own enjoyment and and her own climax and, and all the, the beauty of her body. It really is like a Garden of Eden type of experience before shame entered into the picture. Like when you get to that place where you are naked and feel no shame and you are uninhibited and you are ready to romp and play and just be adventurous, that is a very different type of sex than just, well, I'm laying here and I'm willing to spread my legs and like, yeah, it's just get it over with. Men, Men will often say they would rather not get sex at all than to only get mercy sex. I mean, he wants yeah, an active that. and engaged 
playful, adventurous partner. And there is so much joy in that for women. It releases so much oxytocin, which is what bonds us to our husbands in the first place. And I tell women, for you to become a more sexually confident wife is going to create a stronger marriage. A stronger marriage creates a stronger family. A stronger stronger families create stronger um, communities and stronger communities create stronger society. So it's your contribution to society to become a more sexually confident wife. <laughs> yes. Sisters are doing it for themselves and the world. It's, it's about good, time. It's a good legacy to leave. It is so about time. Okay. I have baggage. I know I need to deal with it. I'm going to try to do it for myself. What can I do? I have I have a few levels of engagement that if you know that I could recommend based on their budgets and their time and energy and all that. Um, a fifteen dollar fix would be a copy of the Sexually Confident Wife. That's the book that people tell me really brought them out of their shell. Like I had Julie Seibert with IntimacyInMarriage.com here the past three days, and she was saying that the Sexually Confident Wife, which was released ten years ago, I can't believe it's been that that many years, but that that was the book that really brought her out of her shell and gave her a voice and gave her a vision for. What she wanted to be, and then also my book, The Fantasy Fallacy, about using your brain, and you know, your brain is your largest sex organ. So understanding how your brain and your body can work together in tandem to develop this sexual confidence and this rock and sex life would be great. Uh, if you want to invest more than just fifteen dollars in just a book, then consider coaching with me. I do um, individual coaching or couples coaching, or if you want to really invest, come to a Women at the Well four day intensive workshop. Or we actually have coming up October 23rd through the 26th, a sexually confident couple workshop for husbands and wives to attend together here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And so um, those are the, the three levels that I could recommend. And there's so many other great blogs and books and TED Talks and all that kind of stuff out there. There's, there's great information to be found. Seek it out. Don't be afraid to expose yourself to it. It's really easy to look at expenses. You know, there's an expense to something, so maybe I don't want to put money into that. But I know so many husbands who have said, if it will help my wife, not just so that the guys can get their sex, but, you know, if it can help my wife feel better about her body and feel better about herself, I'm willing to put the money into it. Absolutely. And what I tell people is if you think that coaching is expensive, wait until you see the price tag of divorce. Like, yeah, it, it's it's like preventing. You can spend the money on vitamins, or you can spend the money on chemo and surgery. It's up to you. You know, it's like you can either prevent something from from becoming a problem, or you can deal with it in a more expensive way after it becomes a problem. So, just encouraging women to hey, look at your sex life while your relationship is good. Don't wait until it's so broken that you don't have a vision for even staying together as a couple. Become a sexually confident couple now, and you'll never have to deal with that kind of disease, for lack of a better analogy. I think for me, one of the the first steps that I really took was just being able to talk to God about it too. Is that I just kind of um, I, I looked at that that baggage a lot, but I kind of kept it to myself. I didn't talk about it to anyone else. Um, I felt like it was my problem, my baggage. You know, I had my my grip on the handle of that suitcase, and I wouldn't let go. And I started think, thinking, you know what? There's something else. I, I've got to deal with this because it is that situ- situation to you where sometimes you get to that point where you're like, um, the pain of staying where you are is worse than the pain of going ahead and and changing and doing something about it. And so I had a lot of, you know, 
my pouring my heart out to God conversations and spent a lot of time feeling like he didn't really want to listen to this and he didn't really want to, um, you know, who was I with all of my baggage to, to be, um, to be cleared of that, you know, I felt like I had picked it up and it was mine to hold and, you know, and it just took me a lot. It took me a while. And I think people also need to understand that it can be a process. So I, you know, when someone comes and does your, your four day workshop, I, you know, the four days can be such an awakening, but it's an awakening for a process that continues It is because a journey. there's growth, there's journey. And so for me, it started at that just inception of being able to talk to God about it and then being able to start talking to some others about it. And then, you know, studying more and going and looking for resources and, and, um, and just a lot of that kind of opening up in, in honesty thing, but it is a journey. And I, and I feel like I've, I just don't have much of that left yet. It's, you know, I'm really so healed from so many things, but it didn't happen in, you know, a day. My big moment (laughs) moment of healing came after I'd already started the blog and I thought I was fine. I always pray in images which makes it really hard when I'm trying to pray in front of around people because then I'm, you know, I'm having to translate images into words. But I was imagining all this baggage as this, these layers and layers of clothes that I was wearing. And (laughs) at one point I remember seeing, you know, I was imagining looking at God and I unzipped the suit I was wearing and just flung it all off and there was nothing left but me. And it was so powerful. Mm-hmm. It was like that baggage, that was when I knew the baggage was all gone and that it was really possible to be cleared of that. It was an amazing experience. I'm getting chills I, thinking about it. I love that it. image. Yep, I love that picture. Yes, shed the layers of shame. Why did Christ die on the cross if it wasn't for us to be able to shed layers of shame? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, but you're right, Jay. It's not a one-day event where you pray a prayer and ask God to take it all away. There is certainly a sifting, a sorting, a separating, a really looking at not just what has happened in your life, but why has it happened. Um, there, There is a reckoning. I, I call it when your emotional bills come due, that you really need to sit down and sift through them and write them before the interest accumulates and costs you a lot more emotionally than you ever intended to, uh, you know, to spend. And so, yeah, but what a privilege though. I'm sure that y'all have seen it over and over in your ministries as well. What a privilege when you see that light bulb come on in that woman's face or mind of, oh, okay, I don't have to stay where I am. I can become a sexually confident wife. I, I can be um, holy and horny at the same time. This is a pure thing. <laughs> That's what you should have named your blog, Jay. <laughs> holy and horny. That sex is something sacred. This is my act of worship of God. This isn't something that's nasty or dirty or makes me a bad girl. That this makes me fully human. That this makes me alive. And that I think that so much of it too is that we just haven't had the role models because, um, our moms didn't talk to us because their moms didn't talk to them. And I remember my pastor uh, giving us a tour when we were in the youth group of the parsonage and he showed us his room with the twin bed and he showed us his wife's room with the twin. Like he actually gave us the impression that they sleep in twin beds in completely separate rooms. So of course, what did that give (laughs) Oh my goodness. Exactly. So we just haven't had the role models 
uh, you know, to show us that it's normal, it's healthy, it's desirable, and that we can talk about it. So that's one of the reasons I just want to praise you for what you are doing with this podcast is that you are giving women that role model, that vocabulary, that template uh, that that we can follow because that's that's what we all need. It's it's like you can you can tell me, but show me, show me who I can be, show me what I can become. And y'all are doing just that. And I'm so proud of the work. Well, that thank you. We don't always agree on our issues. You know, we'll, we'll talk about something and we'll have, you know, four different opinions. But one of the things is that we model how you can talk with each other and disagree in a loving way. And don't we all need to do that in our marriages when we're talking about sex? So, you know, it's at first it's like, Oh no, we're going to disagree. And with we finally came to a point where we're good. Now we can model. You know, we have another opportunity to model how to have these conversations. Yes. But our foundational principles remain the same, and they're the same as what, what you talk about, Shannon. And so, you know, it's this, this God-created sex that's good in marriage, and we have to embrace all of that. And I think when you're talking about having models, um, one of the most interesting things to me has been that as I've done this, um, it is oftentimes the – the oldest of the, the elderly ladies in the church <laughs> who will actually be the most supportive. And yes. I've been really surprised by that because you would think, cause they don't really talk about it much and they seem very put together. But, but when you talk to them, they've been around long enough that they have seen marriages go bad because of this. They have seen people stuck in these situations and they say, they know that they're, they didn't know when they entered their marriage and they had issues and this and that. And they will say to me, I'm so glad that you're doing this. This is so needed. And mm-hmm. I just have been so That's buoyed so by that. Affirming. Yes. That they, that they get it. And I'm like, well, I hope I'm, you know, I hope I'm still talking about this when I'm their age too. So, yeah, I remember one woman, she was attending with her daughter because their granddaughter was going to be attending one of my events. And she leans over to her daughter and she says, honey, you're so lucky that you're living in a day and age where y'all can talk about this. There was a day and age where women weren't supposed to like sex. If, yeah. if you even indicated that you liked it, then you were a bad girl. And so this whole era of being a prude, can we just declare that era over? Like that is so out of style, at, way out of fashion, you know, like bell-bottom jeans or whatever. You know, like we have to oh, yeah. from there. If we went through it, it should never come back. <laughs> like bell-bottom jeans. <laughs> but that's a good well pile. Let's move on. Update the wardrobe. <laughs> What is one last thing you'd all like to say to our listeners about dealing with their sexual baggage? Jay, you want to go first? Uh, sure. I'm, I guess my one thing would be that, um, so whatever you have in there, there's probably more than one thing and it seems like it's big. Um, if you just, just deal with the first thing first, just take the baby steps. I think that sometimes we look at the whole thing and it's just overwhelming. Like when you open up your closet and you think I'm going to clean my closet and then you think there's so much stuff in there that you just close the door and go get some bit of Jerry's. Um, (laughs) So it's, you know, but if you open up and you say, I'm going to take this out and then take this out and figure out each thing. And I just think we can become paralyzed instead of saying, you know what, we don't have to deal with all this all in one fell swoop. I just need to get on the right path. And I think once you start walking that path, you start you start believing these things and you get the energy to keep dealing with things because as you see progress being made. And Chris, I would add to that, uh, people think that it's, 
it's strictly a spiritual problem. And then if I just pray more, if I just fast more, if I just read my Bible more, if I just tithe more, that all this will disappear and go away like cotton candy on my tongue. It does not work that way. There's actually two different ceilings that we deal with in life. One is a spiritual ceiling, but the other is an emotional ceiling. And so the concept that if you raise your spiritual ceiling, then your emotional ceiling will be raised, that's reverse order. You have to raise your emotional ceiling first and deal with those emotional issues. And then you start feeling closer to God. Then you start feeling more peace in your spiritual life. And and then you can raise your spiritual ceiling. So don't be afraid to look at the emotional. Uh, It's there is absolutely nothing unbiblical about looking through a psychological lens at why are you doing what you're doing or why are you not able to do the things that you, that you want to do? You know, that it's, it's a Paul thing. You know, why do I do the things that I don't want to do? And why can't I do the things that I do want to do? If something is holding you back sexually and emotionally, take the time to look at those hurdles and know that that is just as holy and sacred of an act as prayer or tithing or fasting or anything else. What I would say is no matter what your baggage is, you can unpack it and you can deal with it. And I know, you know, women will say, well, okay, I had premarital sex or I had an affair with a married man or I had, you know, I have, I brought a child or an STI into the marriage or I had an abortion or I had a threesome or I had a girlfriend. All of those things are forgivable and they can all, they all can interfere with the marriage bed, but they can all be, you can free yourself of those too. So no matter what your baggage is, you can deal with it and get past it. Mm -hmm. Amen. No one is too bad for God's grace. And we all have sexual baggage. We just need to find people who love us enough to help us unpack it. Any last thoughts, ladies? Just thanking Shannon so much for being here. You bet. Lovely to have you. You bet. If ladies want to learn more about the books, um, the workshops, uh, the coachings, uh, just shannonethridge.com. Etheridge does not have an E in the middle. It's just E T H R I D G E dot com. <laughs> well, we will also have a link to that in the show notes. Yeah, so. we'll have a link right. on our website and in our uh, little iTunes thingy. What's that called? Is that called show notes too? It's, I don't know. Okay, well, I okay, that's off topic. Mine, but it's there. It's the the podcast description. Yeah. So we'll have that all there. So all you have to do, listeners, is just click on the link, and then you can get to Shannon's stuff. Thank you for joining us, Shannon. It's been lovely having you. You bet, Chris and Jay. Thanks so much. And I pray that those who weren't able to be a part of it tonight because of the storm are safe and that their loved ones are safe as well. Thanks so much for joining us today on Sex Chat for Christian Wives. We encourage you to check out our website at sexchatforchristianwives.com where you can find show notes and links to resources. That's sexchatforchristianwives.com. Also, if you enjoyed our podcast, please take a few minutes to leave a review on iTunes so others can find the show. And tell a friend about us. Word of mouth is one of the best ways to reach out to new listeners. We appreciate you being with us today, and we pray that God blesses you this week as you pursue healthy and holy sexual intimacy in your marriage.